Are you interested in joining a community of policy influencers working toward positive change? Consider Seton Hall University's results-driven executive graduate programs in international affairs. You can customize your studies through research in regional areas and specializations, including conflict management, global health security, and more. As a graduate candidate, you can leverage a collaborative and dynamic professional platform that includes one-on-one faculty mentorship, career workshops, international seminars, and discussions with global leaders on campus, at the UN headquarters in New York, and in Washington, D.C. The program is flexible. Study full-time or part-time, online or at the New Jersey campus just 14 miles from New York City. To learn more or sign up for a webinar, click the link in our episode description. Hi, I'm Casey Candela. And I am Damilola Banjo. This is Unscripted, a podcast taking you inside the United Nations and beyond the scripted debates to the people at the heart of it all, the diplomats. Today, we explore Albania's plans as president of the UN Security Council for the month, its own institutional reforms after years of instability, and its drawn-out plans to join the European Union. We talk with its permanent representative to the UN, Edit Hoxha, on his country's agenda. Albania was elected to the council for a two-year term from 2022 to 2023. The ambassador joined Albania's foreign service in 1991. I'm from Albania. I've studied mostly in Albania, but I've had my share of studies abroad as well. I joined the Albanian foreign service in 91, just at the time when the country was changing. I quit my first ever job, which was a professor of French language. French language and civilization was my first studies. I've studied elsewhere, law and international relations as well. And I joined the service in 91. And since that time, I've been serving my country in Albania and abroad. I've been lucky enough to have had important positions of responsibility back home. I've been director, director general, I've been secretary general, which is the highest position in the civil service um, in my country. And, but I've been lucky enough also to represent my country in Brussels, to the European Union, to Belgium, to Luxembourg. I've been ambassador to France, but also at the same time to um, Portugal and Algeria. He's serving as the country's representative to the UN for a second time. And he's happy that ever busy New York is getting back on its feet despite the continuing pandemic. I'm happy to be back in New York. It's absolutely, you can't compare it with anything else. I mean, for as much as I love Paris and I love Rome and many other places in the world, I think there is no city that uh, really could compare with New York, with its uh, vibrancy, with its noise, with its cultural life, with its diversity of cultures, with everything that makes everyone from anywhere find itself home. I've been serving my country before at the United Nations between 2009 and 15. So this is the second time I come here as an ambassador. After that, I went back to the country. And then before assuming this position where I'm currently representing Albania at the United Nations, but particularly at the Security Council, 
I was the ambassador of Albania to UNESCO, which is again part of the UN family. So I've spent most of my time in multilateralism in international organizations and multilateralism is in my blood. We also hear from Agon Malici, a Balkan foreign policy expert. I'm a policy analyst and a democracy activist from Kosovo, but living in Tirana, Albania. I've um, been involved in civil society and, and pro-democracy movements, but also working as a consultant on a lot of uh, development and democracy governance uh, kind of themes. Uh, a couple of years ago, I was also a fellow at the National Endowment for Democracy in Washington, D.C., and I'm also involved on the various sort of these you know, peace and democracy initiatives uh, in the Western Balkans. So I work throughout the region. Albania's history in the last century is a bloody one. During its four-decade communist regime, thousands of people were killed to preserve single-party rule and deter religious practice in the country. And Albanians living outside the country's current border have not fared much better. According to a 1999 report by the U.S. State Department, Serbia killed more than 10,000 ethnic Albanians in Kosovo. At the time, Kosovo was an autonomous part of former Yugoslavia Republic. Kosovo declared its independence from Serbia in 2008 and is currently recognized by 97 UN member states. Now Tirana, Albania's capital, is angling for accountability and justice for victims of extrajudicial killings. Ambassador Oja says Albania's Prime Minister Edi Rama will chair an open debate on the issue on June 2nd in the Security Council. On the 2nd of June, we will start with the first signature event, which will be on accountability and its role in maintaining peace and security in the world. And it's an event that will be chaired by the Prime Minister of Albania. It will be an open debate on this important topic. We know how much accountability, lack of justice, affects the work of the UN, that of the Security Council, and how important it is to make sure that we arrive at a situation when those who are responsible for crimes are brought to justice, and those victims are at least relieved that what they had to go through has been taken into account and those who are responsible have had their day in court. So this will be the first signature event. Accountability can be a thorny topic for the permanent members of the council. Last year, Russia stopped UN sanctions experts from investigating reports of killings by Russian mercenaries in the Central African Republic. The mercenaries are part of the Kremlin-linked Wagner Group. They're also accused of committing atrocities in Mali this year. France, another permanent member of the Council, has questioned UN findings on civilian casualties allegedly committed by its forces in Mali last year. And the U.S., for its part, refuses to join the International Criminal Court and has prevented ICC prosecutors from entering the country to gather evidence on purported atrocities committed by U.S. troops in Afghanistan. Finally, China reportedly cracks down on free speech and has persistently denied proof of forcing Uyghur Muslims into quote-unquote orientation camps, where they are allegedly tortured. So it's daunting 
to say the least, for Albania to demand accountability from its fellow UN member states. But Malici says Albania has historic grounds to do so. So it's a theme and the trauma in the history of Albanians in the Balkans, which Albania understands. And in light of what's happening in Ukraine, and not just Ukraine, the various other conflict spots around the world where war crimes continue to face considerable impunity, and women are usually the biggest targets, I think it's both a timely and a convenient theme for Albania to raise at the global level. In April... Britain puts the problem of conflict-related sexual violence at the top of its priorities for the month in the Security Council. Underscoring the depth of the problem, Albania is raising the issue again. Under the Security Council agenda item for women, peace and security, during Serbia's attack on Kosovo in 1999, NATO fighters say military bases were turned into rape camps. That year, some 300 women told UNICEF that the village of Dragosin was converted into a rape camp where they were detained for three days. Less than a year after this revelation, the Security Council passed Resolution 1325, recognizing disproportionate effect conflicts have on women and mandating that women be granted an equal role in the peace process. A debate on this current subject of rape camps will be held on June 15. The second signature event will be on another priority, which is actually the top priority of, of, of our, um, our run to the council, which is women, peace and security. That will happen on the 15th of June. It will be an, another open debate chaired by the Minister for Foreign Affairs for Europe and Foreign Affairs of Albania. And that will be on the implementation of the Women, Peace and Security Agenda, seen through the lens of the regional organization. So we hope to bring together the European Union, the OECE, the League of Arab States and the African Union to brief the council and have a discussion in the council. And of course, with the wider membership as it happens for the uh, open debates. We think that it's important to take stock of where we are with this very important agenda, but still after 21 years, we need to look at it of the implementation and we need to build as much as possible on the best practices. So this is the intention of this debate. Albania has a history of colonization and dictatorship. Before the First World War, Albania detached itself from the Turks. Then it was heavily influenced and later invaded by Italy. During World War II, Germany made a brief incursion, and after the war, the former Republic of Yugoslavia also invaded. During the Cold War, Albania was dictated to by the former Soviet Union and China. In light of this challenging history, Albania has strongly condemned its one-time communist allies' war of aggression on Ukraine. Ambassador Hodja says his country would have preferred not to be in the council at this time, but that the war in Ukraine gives the small Balkan state a platform to speak out against the much larger Russia. The fact that we happen to be in the council um, during this incredible situation, which we thought we had left behind in another century, had provided Albania with the voice, with the position, which is coherent with the principles we stand for, 
and it has provided us the opportunity to say clearly, loudly, what we stand for and how much we disagree with this attitude of Russia. During Albania's civil war in 1997, the council approved sending a peacekeeping force to Albania to facilitate humanitarian aid delivery and stabilize the country. Afterwards, Albania was laughed at by Russia in diplomatic circle for apparently being the sex trafficking orb of Europe. We asked Malichi if Russia's past taunt and its isolation of Tirana from the West in the early 1960s has influenced Albania's current foreign policy towards Moscow. Albania looks firmly towards the West in terms of the kind of global order based on democracies and human rights. So it has that kind of a moral outlook on foreign policies. And plus, what it sees as happening in Ukraine, it clearly resonates to Albania with the Kosovo experience, in which Kosovo experienced something similar in, in the 99 with Serbia and, and the attempted genocide in Kosovo. But also from an interest perspective, it has an interest in European unity and aligning with its, its key allies, who are confronting Russia and, in fact, has a lot of points of antagonism with Russia, including here Russia's negative stance over Kosovo's statehood. Since Albania ended its communist regime in March 1992, it has sought out partnerships with Western countries and multilateral institutions. Albania expressed its interest in joining NATO as early as 1992 and was admitted 15 years later. Ambassador Hoxha recognizes NATO's value in giving Albania a platform to defend its rights and foreign policy views. Since the very start of the changes in Albania, which was late 90, early 91, the things for Albanians were very clear. We wanted to join the European Union. We wanted to join the Euro-Atlantic area. We wanted to join the family to which we spiritually, culturally, and from every point of view, we belong to. I think it was priority number one for every Albanian government. And it materialized in 2009 at the Bucharest summit. And I think that has been one of the most important decisions in foreign policy, international relations of my country, of my nation. It was a desire to join uh, as I mentioned, this um, family uh, of values, this family of principles, this organization which is political and military, but that brings democracies. It was mostly thanks to NATO's bombing of Serbia in 1999. During the Kosovo War, the Serbia left Kosovo and the killing of ethnic Albanians was altered. Malici, like many Albanians, share the ambassador's views. Absolutely. It plays a very central role for some of the Eastern European countries, especially the Baltics, Poland, and a lot of these other countries. Albania is geographically further away, but still it was also part of this former communist bloc. So immediately after communism in the 90s, it looked firmly towards the West. So it really wanted to join Western institutions, EU, NATO. And in the Balkans, it has staunch support, like 90% of the population supports authority. So there is no uh, division. There's a clear sort of social consensus on this issue. So Albania wants it and wanted it. And, you know, as it, it sees NATO as, in a way, also helping its aspiration to become an EU member as well, because the security it provides is sort of complementary to 
to political and economic aspiration that the EU provides. We'll be right back. Are you looking for a talk show featuring leading global voices? Do you want to learn more about how international issues directly affect people locally? Global Connections Television presents the insights of global influencers at no cost to viewers and programmers. GCTV is independently produced and reaches more than 70 million potential viewers worldwide each week. The show covers everything from human rights to climate change, from peace and security to empowering women and girls. It features guests such as Dr. Jane Goodall, former UN High Commissioner for Human Rights Mary Robinson, and Peter Yarrow of Peter, Paul, and Mary. The show also hosts expert voices from the private sector, academia, and labor and environmental movements. GCTV is available to public television media outlets, universities, and service clubs for distribution. To watch the show or find out more, click the link in our episode description. Now, back to the show. Albania stands out for its energy independence. Kate Burns, the U.S. ambassador to North Macedonia, said in 2020 that the Baltic states were heavily dependent on Russia for their gas needs. North Macedonia, for example, relied solely on Gazprom at the time. And the EU, which Albania hopes to join, relies on Russia for nearly 40% of its gas needs. Albania, on the other hand, generates 90% of its energy from hydropower, from its rivers, and was reportedly a non-importer of natural gas as of 2015. So Albania has been resilient, at least in some ways, against the economic impacts of the war in Ukraine. Here's Ambassador Hodja. Albania has never been dependent on the Russian gas, and Albania has never been dependent on the Russian oil. So we have been lucky... And of course, this is due to the history of relations, the breakup during the communist times, and of course, our orientation towards European Union, our membership in NATO, and, and so on. So we do not have any dependency on, on that. This having said, we're not immune from the impact of the war, because as we know, there is an acute problem of food security in the world, and that food security is one of the um, dire consequences of the aggression. And of course, even we don't import oil from Russia, war has impacted the price of commodities. And of course, we suffer like all other countries, be them European or others from the food security and the government has been able to take specific measures in this respect. But I think it is important to mention that food security is a direct consequence of the war, is a direct consequence of the disruption that it has brought to normal trade to normal exports of basic commodities, including grain from Ukraine and from Russia, of the limitation of exports for fertilizers by Russia, and of some other, I think there are some 200 commodities that Russia has either stopped exporting or whose export has been affected by the war. And this is what we call the weaponization of food. And with this, Russia is really making it harder for many countries, especially many developing countries that are struggling with the social unrest, as we have seen in many countries, but also with the most vulnerable that were poor and now they go hungry. Malichi says Albania's economy is suffering from more than just high food prices. 
the country was rocked by an earthquake of 6.4 magnitude on November 26, 2019. Before Albania could recover from the earthquake, the pandemic struck. But Malichi reckons that Albania's economy will survive Russia's war on Ukraine without much damage. Albania's economy is growing at a good rate and booming in some sectors like tourism and exports of especially minerals. But this is the third economic shock in a row. Albania had an earthquake three years ago and then followed by a pandemic and now the war. I do think that the crisis is having an impact, especially on prices of energy and foods. However, being in Europe and having these sort of uh, open channels and good trade links with a lot of countries and also a strong diaspora and an economy that you know is drawing a lot of tourism, I think it will manage to come out of it not severely hit. For eight years, Albania has been making institutional reforms to meet the requirements for admission to the EU. It wasn't until 2020 that accession negotiations were signed. That means they've submitted the required paperwork. Ambassador Hoja says now it's up to the EU to accept. I could drag on for hours to explain you how important it is, what we have done, what we have been through, and what we're looking for. I'll try to do that in one minute. We see the accession process into the European Union, a merit-based one, which means that the European Union would provide you what is needed, what reforms you need to do, what legislation you need to improve, what practices you need to change, and what development you need to have. In everything, there is not an aspect of the life of my country, of our society, of my nation, that is not affected by the European Union integration process. And the European Commission, which is the guardian of implementation of these processes, has concluded that Albania has fulfilled every single condition or requirement. So we have checked all the boxes. And then once you're in that situation, then you go back to the European Council. So it's the member states who decide on the begin of negotiations. It hasn't started for a reason that has nothing to do with Albania, because we are together with the North Macedonia, and there is a problem between North Macedonia and Bulgaria, which concerns those countries. Albania is not part of it. But since we have been together in a package, everybody has been patient to see if that situation would be solved quickly so that negotiations start with the two countries. We are waiting to see what the decision of the European Union will be on the 6th of June to see how we see our, our road ahead. On May 19, the European Union Parliament asked the European Council to officially start the ascension negotiation it agreed to begin in 2020. Bulgaria, an EU member, held up the start of the process due to its dispute with North Macedonia which is home to an ethnic Albanian population. Here is Malici. Greater Albania is, to some extent, a myth pushed especially by Russia and some pro-Russian circles in Serbia. It exists, so pan-Albanian aspirations uh, do exist in discourse, and some degree of structured cooperation between Kosovo and Albania, or two, two different countries, and some calls for unity between the two do exist. But Albanians in general, both in Albania and Kosovo or 
other parts of the Balkans generally view their perspective as joining the EU and NATO and living in a united Europe where the borders don't matter. So I don't think there's a serious political project. However, with security risks increasing and uh, with EU accession perspective weakening because of lack of willingness of EU countries to have Balkan countries join, I, I do think that these kind of calls uh, and with Kosovo's difficulties in sort of consolidating its statehood, I don't think that any sort of these border change topics have ended in the Balkans. But generally, Albania's priorities are economic growth and it, it does not want to destabilize the region or its relations with its key Western partners who do not look favorably to nationalistic projects. Albania hasn't just been working to meet the EU's requirements, but also to reflect the Eurozone's cosmopolitan spirit. Albania's economy has been boosted in recent years by tourism. And despite its tough past, it prides itself on being welcoming to foreigners. While few Ukrainians are seeking refuge in the country, Albania is accepting them. But just like many countries in Central and Eastern Europe, Albania's integration of the Roma people have fallen short. Romani in Albania live in poor housing condition and many do not finish school. A UN development program survey says only 52% of Albanians Roma have any form of education. But Ambassador Oja says his country has done enough to accommodate this historically marginalized ethnic group. The Roma issue is a major issue of human rights, of equality, of equal chances everywhere, and of course in Europe, but also in my own country in Albania. We have a Roma community in Albania, and Albania has recognized them as um, part of the minority groups, which means that they have rights, specific rights, sometimes positive discrimination everywhere where we think that there should be more to do. Their rights are guaranteed by law and their integration into the society is carried through institutions. So they have absolutely all mechanisms to claim uh, to be part, an equal part of the society and to evolve like everyone. This episode was co-produced by me, Casey Candela, and Damalola Banjo for Pass Blue, an independent women-led media site covering the United Nations and global affairs. Dulcie Leinbach is our editor. Allison Leche is our fact checker. AI Digital created our podcast logo. And our music is by Poddington Bear. A lot happened at the UN beyond what we report in each episode of Unscripted. And Pass Blue is covering the important news from women's rights to human's rights. For day-to-day coverage, follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and LinkedIn. And to subscribe to Pass Blue, go to passblue.com. We thank the New School for its institutional support. Past Blue's in-depth and exclusive stories and this podcast are possible with the support of the Carnegie Corporation of New York, the Open Society Foundations, and listeners like you. To show your support, visit Past Blue's website and click Donate. Unscripted is available wherever you find podcasts. If you like today's show, please rate us on iTunes and share it with all your friends.